Our text for the morning is Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6, wrapping up the study in this book, which I don't know, has been something like a dozen-ish sermons. Uh, We've got a few more this morning, 11, 1 through 6. I've entitled this message, Resource Management. Please follow along as I read. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a child, of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I'm not a financial planner, but from what I understand about their work, if you go to them for advice, they will encourage you to diversify your assets. Don't put all of them in one place because something bad might happen in that sector, in that area. So diversify. Maybe put a little bit in land, a little bit in tech, a little bit in medicine. They would encourage you to spread your wealth out so that you don't have one of those areas where you, maybe you've put all your money and come to a crashing halt and then you're sunk. So diversify spread it out. You see that principle here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, but it's an example of a principle that really falls under a bigger truth. You can live wisely, which Solomon encourages us to do, but at the end of the day, even diversifying, placing this or that in that location, even all of that, with all of that, you don't know what the future holds. Our days are in the hands of God. He knows the future. Solomon is telling his listeners here not to let anxiety about the future and even even wise working for security in the future to cripple us or to paralyze us into analyzing everything and saying, now, what do I do here? What do I do there? Where do I put my money here? Where do I put my time here so that it will for sure bring a lasting benefit and I won't suffer at all? what do I do here? And sometimes that, that frantic stress of where to put our resources can cause us worry, can cause us fear, and we know Solomon's not aiming us toward that, but for an overwhelming trust in the Lord for the future. Sometimes stressing out about where to put our resources and what to do here and there leads us to paralysis by analysis trying to analyze everything, and so we end up not doing anything. That's a problem also. So in this passage, Solomon exhorts us to wise living with our resources. He exhorts us to hard work, and he exhorts us to generosity. And at the end of the day, because disasters happen, things happen, to trust in the Lord, to realize that the future is in the hands of God. Spiritually speaking, We are to take all that God has given us, skills, 
resources, money, physical abilities, talents, take all that He's given us and to find out how to best use them for His glory, knowing that all of those uses, all of those endeavors are ultimately in His hands, and to rest there. A financial advisor, again, from what I understand about their work, you come into their office, the first thing they would ask you is not how much you have, but what are your goals? What are your goals for the future? What are your goals for coming and seeking advice? What are your goals? Now, you can have a wrong goal coming to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. A wrong goal would be, Solomon, give me some wisdom so that I can make a lot of money and be secure for the future, and all will be good. That'd be a wrong goal. And I think in our study of Ecclesiastes, you you all know that that's a wrong goal. Do not bank on anything. Do not bank on your wisdom, your ingenuity, your pocketbook, your portfolio. Don't bank on any of that. Now, it's true. Money can bring a sense of security. Working hard can, can benefit you, again, until it doesn't. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Use wisdom, do your best, make good decisions, but don't bank on all of your ingenuity, all of your wisdom to lead you to eternal security. That's why the overall, the overwhelming exhortation in this book has been, fear God, revere God, trust God. So, a wrong goal would be, oh, I see this as a principle for how to steward my money, and that will lead me to financial security. Well, that's actually the opposite of what the passage is saying. Yes, there's wisdom in how to use your money, steward your resources, but it doesn't lead to financial security. Disaster could happen. Know that your days are in God's hands. He knows the future. A right goal, I would say, in approaching this passage, 11, 1 to 6, is to consider how to invest our resources and to work hard in faith that God will do with them what He will and take care of our future. To work and invest wisely in faith, knowing that our days are in His hands. And even if disaster comes, our days are in His hands. And even if the cancer diagnosis comes or the job loss comes, as we seek to steward our resources wisely, we know that ultimately our days are in His hands, and that's a comfort for us. Solomon is prompting us in this passage to use our resources not to sit on them because we're so concerned about how to use them the right way and to secure our future, so we just kind of sit on them and do nothing with them so that nothing bad happens. He doesn't want us to do that. He's prompting his reader toward work, toward generosity, knowing that the future, again, is in the hands of God. So, we're going to divide this passage into two parts, two wise principles for managing our resources with faith. Two wise principles for managing our resources with faith. The first principle is this, found in verses 1 to 4. Invest resources rightly since you don't know when disaster may strike. Invest resources rightly since you don't know when disaster may strike. The question here is, will you hoard your resources, keep them to yourself, so that if disaster arises, you'll be safe, or 
Will you put them to work? Will you do things with your time? Will you do things with your money? Will you do things with your talents? Trusting the Lord to make the most out of them. We start right away in this passage with a verse that perplexes almost every single Bible teacher that I've read on the book of Ecclesiastes. I read a number of commentaries this week, and all of them admit we don't exactly know what this verse means. Here's our best guess. They know the principle behind it, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But in terms of why this saying, what does it mean to cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days? What does that mean? We don't really know. If you study any ancient culture, there are idioms that they have that the people in that day and age knew. Oh, that makes sense. It's raining cats and dogs. Oh, I know what that means. Well, let's see in a thousand years that people know what that means. What in the world were they talking about? One in the hand is worth two in the bush. I still don't know what that means today, and people use it today. (laughs) In a thousand years, let's see if people understand what that means. Well, this was an idiom back then that Solomon's readers evidently knew. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. It actually was a saying that was like one in Egyptian culture before Solomon's time. In Egyptian culture, they had a saying like this, and the idea was, put your bread or your food on the water, and when the river dries up, you'll have your bread and your food. And people think, why would I want soggy bread? Now, we don't have to take that literally, but again, the idea was, invest something, and if things dry up, you'll have that in return. So, so it's a call to use your resources wisely, not, to just, not just to hoard them. We know that that is the principle. Why did he say it like this? Why bread and water? We don't know. But the principle behind this is use your resources and blessing will come from that. Verse 2, give. So the verb in verse 1 was cast, use, invest. The verb in verse 2 is give. Give a portion to seven or to eight. Seven in the Scriptures being a number of completion. So be generous, or some might even think steward your resources, divide them up into seven or eight ways so that if disaster strikes in one area, you'll still have a few areas over here. Whichever is meant here, we do know that giving is a theme in verses 1 through 6. Later on, in, at the end of the passage, in verse 6, they'll say this, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. So, in the morning work, in the evening give. You don't know if one of those will be successful or not, or maybe both of them. So there there is a call to stewarding resources rightly, and that does involve giving. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So is this about financial investment in diversifying our assets, our wealth, for the sake of guaranteeing a final success in the future? No. While diversifying assets is a wise practice that helps us guard against complete financial ruin, it's not the entire point of this passage. There's more to it. This is talking about more than investing financial resources for our own personal gain. Solomon speaks of using our resources rather than sitting on them 
for the purpose of mitigating against disaster, but also for the purpose of generosity toward others. There is a call to generosity here, not just you trying to secure your future by how you allocate your wealth. There's a call to generosity here. Maybe Solomon has in mind with something he wrote earlier in the book, chapter 5, 13 to 14. He said this, there's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Solomon thinks it's a problem to hoard what you have. Said it in verse 5, highlighted a person negatively who was doing this. And here in verse, or chapter 11, sorry, chapter 11, he's talking about the wisdom in spreading your resources around, which include giving. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. So he had his money in one place, resources in one place, and that venture didn't succeed. Now he has nothing. Why is that such a problem? Next verse, verse 14, and he's the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Fathers are supposed to provide for sons. Parents are supposed to provide for their children. And so when you hoard your money, and maybe just use it in one way, and that comes to a crashing collapse, you got nothing. So the principle is put your resources to work. And again, I don't believe this is just about money here. Because when Solomon talks about money, he's getting at the heart. Later on in Scripture, Jesus will talk about money as a heart issue and talks about how to spend and where to put it, which comes from the heart. Solomon himself, in the book of Proverbs, highlights the importance of generosity and spreading the wealth, not just to get more for yourself, but to invest what he's given you. Listen to Proverbs 19.17. This is Solomon also. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. So, Solomon's advice on money is spread it around, give it, don't hoard it, and that's the safest investment you can make because the Lord will take care of that. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Way down the line in history biblical history. Paul says this to Timothy and how to shepherd his wealthy churchgoers. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That sounds a lot like Solomon, as we've seen Ecclesiastes. Listen to more connections to Ecclesiastes as Paul talks to Timothy. Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Set their hopes on God. Fear the Lord who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Sounds like Solomon, doesn't it? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. That sounds like Solomon, Ecclesiastes. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I mean, You'd think this was ripped out of Ecclesiastes. Jesus taught these same principles. Paul then teaches Timothy to shepherd the church with these principles. 
and we come to the 21st century and us this morning, and we see the wisdom of God in using our resources in wise ways, ultimately for the Lord, trusting in Him to bring about some sort of return in His way in the future. That's what we're learning this morning. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Now, that's kind of obvious. When there are clouds full of rain, they dump themselves out at some point. If a tree falls, so Solomon's looking at the weather to learn some things, to teach us something. If a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. I mean, if I came up to you and maybe drove by your house and it was windy and I got out and I said, hey, listen, that tree right there doesn't look too stable, too strong. If that tree falls, it's going to be where it lies. And you go, well, thank you for the wisdom. That is, I'm going to be sure to write that down. That's amazing. Why is Solomon saying this? He's saying things are the way they are. God orders everything. If a tree falls facing north, God's ordered that. If a tree falls facing south, God's ordered that. You might have a huge disadvantage if a tree falls to the south. Because if it falls to the south, it lands on your house. If it falls to the north, much better. Then you just chop it up, sell it for firewood, and you actually make money. And I wanted to get rid of that tree anyway. But if it falls to the south, you're in trouble. It costs you money. So this is Solomon saying, invest your resources, spread them around, but you don't know what disaster is going to happen. You don't know what God's going to do. He might make a tree fall in your house. You didn't plan for that, but he knows the future. He knows what he's doing. And then in verse 4, we're, we're, we're told that there's a wrong way to respond to the future, and it's worrying about every single tree and where it might fall, every single sector of, of the American economy, what that might do, and just stressing out to the point of, I'm just going to hold on to everything and hope everything works out. Don't live that way, Solomon's saying. He who observes the wind will not sow. This is the person that's, you know, on the computer trying to find out what the, you know, weather's going to do so that they make the right decisions about everything, and they're just paralyzed, and they just sit on the computer, and they never actually go and do something and take a risk. Listen, living in this world is risky. Take a risk. Do something as opposed to, I need to know that it will always work out all the time and nothing bad will happen. Don't live that way. Bad things happen. I mean, the weather experts can't even predict the weather. What makes us think we're going to? He who observes the wind will not sow. I really need to get this crop planted. I need to scatter this seed. But there's wind, and if there's wind, it brings rain, and it's gonna, just going to churn up the seed, and nothing's going to take, and no crop, so not, not this morning. Tomorrow morning comes. Look at the weather forecast. That says there's wind. 
You look out your window. There's not wind now. I can get to work here, but, but it says there's wind. There might be wind. Not, not today. And then the third day comes. No, nah, not today. Fourth day comes. No, nah, not today. That's not how to live. Life is risky. Take risks. Now, if your hands, or if your works, I should say, are in the hands of God, there's security there. Even if you do plant the crop and the wind comes and scatters the seed and uproots the seed, then no crop ends up growing. Even then, guess what? God still loves that farmer. God still cares for that farmer. God will make sure they have what they need. Their days are in God's hands. And Solomon said that earlier too. Chapter 9, verse 1. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. That's a good place to rest. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. So you can live and take risks. Use wisdom. I think this is the best course of action. I do not know if it will succeed or not. And that's why we read chapter 4 earlier, or James chapter 4 earlier in our service. Oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to bring a profit or not. You don't even know if tomorrow is going to happen. And that's a good way to live. Just trust the Lord for tomorrow. If it happens, if it doesn't. If I'm here, if I'm not. But I'm going to do my best, use wisdom, invest the resources He's given me, again, which I take as more than just trying to get a return for me, but I'm going to endeavor to do this for the kingdom of God. I'm going to put my money here for that reason. I'm going to go into this career field, ultimately for His glory. I'm going to do these things, and I don't know how it'll turn out. I don't know if it'll succeed or fail, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to use wisdom. I'm going to do it and leave the rest in His hands instead of waiting around for the perfect environment. People keep asking me to, you know, evangelize or do something, but ah, I mean, I don't have enough time, and what if they don't like it, or I'll just wait. The next season comes. You're learning. You're understanding more of how God works, and hey, go share the gospel. Go talk to someone about Christ. I, yeah, but, but I, I got this priority. There's never a perfect time. Let's use wisdom, get at it, whether it's evangelism, serving the body, investing money into God's kingdom, whatever it may be. We don't know the future, but we do know that He's given us resources to steward. Time, money, talents, gifts, energy. Invest resources rightly so, because you don't know when disaster may strike. There's a second piece of wisdom Solomon gives. And that is, work hard and give generously since you don't know what God will do. Work hard and give generously because you don't know what God will do. Now, before we dive into verses 5 and 6, I want to give you an example of um, really an example of someone who is living life to invest in God's work, knowing that ultimately it's all in God's hands. Just this last week, we had a missionary friend Uh, come to stay with us for a night as he was passing through town. Uh, He and his family are missionaries to Burundi in Africa, poor nation. I want to tell you about this friend because as 
we were talking, I was thinking, this is what Solomon's calling us to live like in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. And this is not me telling you you've got to be a missionary, you've got to go to medical school. I'm not saying you've got to do what he's doing. I'm just saying, listen to what this family is doing and using their resources wisely. And what does that look like for you in your area with the people that he's placed you nearby? This missionary friend went to University of Michigan Medical School, which is a good medical school, went there, and we know him from our previous church. We served together there. Went to the University of Michigan Medical School. This, this guy's brilliant. And there at medical school, he met some other believers, and together, six future physicians determined that when they were done with medical school, done with their residencies, they would together move to Burundi in Africa and seek to help people medically and to bring the gospel to the hospital that they worked in. They came together there in medical school, prayed, sought counsel, used wisdom to strategize, and determined that that's what they would do. Now, my friend could have gone to medical school, come back to do his residency, and made a boatload of money for himself trying to secure his future and to enjoy life to the fullest, but determined to spend it on something that is more lasting. He came back from medical school, had to do his residency in Southern California, and so he jumped into his residency. And those of you who have been in the medical field or know anything about residencies, it's not easy work. And so what did he do while he was in Southern California doing his residency? Well, he joined high school ministry as a volunteer at our church because, you know, that doesn't take any time. <laughs> no, it took a ton of time. It, it's known to be one of the ministries that the, the people serving at that church, like one of the ministries that's the most time-consuming. At least two days a week, sometimes three serving in that ministry. And so he's doing his residency, jumps into serving in high school ministry, and that's where we really became friends. He had a desire with his time, with, with the time that God had given him to seek to bring the gospel to high school students and for those who were converted to disciple them in the faith. He didn't know if he'd ever get to Burundi. He didn't know if he'd finish medical school. He didn't know. All he knew was today he wanted to invest in God's kingdom. So he did, doing his residency, serving in high school ministry. Then he finished his residency, got married, moved to Burundi, and now leads, up one of the leads one of the nation's largest hospitals and trains local, national, up-and-coming doctors, trains them not just in medicine, but in gospel work. So, I'll give you an example of what happens there. And this is a very big illustration, but I think it hits at the heart of Ecclesiastes 11. One example of what they do, they, they um, again, train those studying medicine in Burundi, and um, they, will, they will have the, those studying um, there in Burundi, they will have them go do their rounds, and then they will report back to someone like my friend, and my friend will say, okay, what's the diagnosis? What's happening here with this person? Well, um, there was one lady who was admitted to the hospital, um, had AIDS, contracted AIDS, by her own foolish choices, 
um, also had, in addition to the AIDS diagnosis, had an eight-year-old son who she basically stopped taking care of. She was not doing well in her health, depressed, upset, stopped taking the medicine she was supposed to take, stopped doing what she was supposed to, stopped caring for her son. It was really in a horrible spot. She was brought to this hospital, and so my friend asked the physician over her, okay, what's the diagnosis? What's happening here? Um, what should we do? And so this physician said, well, this is her situation, eight-year-old son, AIDS, kind of lost all desire to live, isn't trying anything, basically neglecting her son, suffering from this and that physically. Here's my medical diagnosis, but ultimately what she needs is the hope of Jesus Christ. And so my friend said to this physician, then what, are you, what do you do about it? What do you recommend there? And this physician said, I'm going to sit with her later today and tell her about Christ. So my friend said, you want me there? No, my language is better than yours is, so I'll take care of this. And ultimately, this doctor led that young lady to Christ. That young lady's life changed so dramatically that her roommate in the hospital saw the conversion, saw the change, and said, something happened to her because of what you told her, her saying this to the doctor. I need to know what you told her. Well, the original lady, the one with AIDS, is now out of the hospital. She is taking good care of her eight-year-old son. She lives in a city not nearby where she was in the hospital, so they connected her to a local church and to a friend there to help guide her through her Christian life. She's memorizing Scripture. She comes back to this hospital once every three months and checks on the workers, tries to care for them, and goes around telling the patients about Jesus Christ. Now, why do I spend all this time on that illustration? <laughs> this is a group of six doctors at the University of Michigan over a decade ago saying, let's invest our minds, our training, our giftedness. Let's invest into something God would have us do. And it's bearing fruit. It's an example of faithfulness. And I think this is the exact type of thing that Solomon's talking about. Use your life, use what God's given you to invest in the future. And that's not just about a financial gain for yourself so that you're secure. Invest in what God's given you because He holds the future in His hands. So friend, take inventory of what God's given you. What kind of mind has He given you? What kind of place has He put you in? What skills has He given you? What assets has He given you? What abilities? What knowledge has He given you? Consider your whole life, who you are, who you're not. Don't try to be someone else. Where you're at, where, just consider all that you have and say, how can I use this best for His kingdom, knowing that God rewards and uses that work for His glory? What can I do here? Or are you just going to hoard it all for yourself, hoping that financial security will come. That doesn't happen. Reminded of Luke 12 here, and I know I told you we've got a second point. I actually named it for you and then stopped, but, but hang on. Luke 12. I read this earlier in Ecclesiastes, but I think it is exactly the opposite 
case of what Solomon's going for in Ecclesiastes 11. We've already learned in Ecclesiastes that Solomon's not a big fan of hoarding your own wealth for your own desires. But Luke 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone that wants financial security in the future and his brother's in his way. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you've been, you have prepared, whose will they be? Not his, they'll be someone else's. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This fool in Luke 12 is really the opposite of what Solomon is wanting his readers to be in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. So invest your resources rightly since you don't know when disaster may strike. Invest your resources rightly, knowing that God will reward you in the future. He'll take care of that. Now, point number two, the aforementioned point number two, verses five to six. Work hard and give generously, since you don't know what God will do. You don't know how God will bless your labors. You don't know how God will bless your generosity. So, Engage in labor. Be generous. Since you don't know what God's plan is, do what He calls you to do and wait on Him for the results. Verse 5, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He uses the womb as an illustration. Now, we know you can go to a science textbook, you can go to your high school biology teacher or your parents, I would recommend, and find out how babies happen, okay? Now, what you don't know, though, you can do the science of all that and the physical part of that, but what you don't know is how does this little one get a personality and a spirit and a mind? You might know the physical, But how does the spiritual happen? How does the emotional happen? Solomon's saying, you don't know how that happens. Just like that, you don't know the work of God who makes everything. You don't know how you doing this physical labor or you saying this thing or you handing this resource to someone in need, you you don't know how you doing physical things will end up being used spiritually for good in the lives of others, but God does. That's what Solomon's saying here when he uses this illustration in verse 5. God gives life physically, spiritually, and therefore can give life to your work and your generosity. So, what do you do? Work and give. Verse 6, in the morning sow your seed. Now, we've heard about morning time previously in Ecclesiastes, right? Remember last week, 
We learned about the bad kings of the earth who in the morning feast. Ah, alarm clock went off. Bring the mimosas. Time to get drunk and enjoy life. That's the bad kings of the earth. The good kings, alarm goes off. Morning's here. Let's work. And then at night, we'll feast. Not for the purpose of drunkenness, but for the purpose of refreshment and to go at it and to make a difference again the next day. That's wisdom. And so here then, just a number of verses later, Solomon talks about again wise living in the morning. And what does it look like? Working. In the morning, sow your seed. But the wind and the meteorologist said, I get it. Use wisdom, but don't be paralyzed. Go to work. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, speaking to generosity. So you don't work in the morning, grab your resources, and keep them all in your pocket. No, no, don't withhold your hand. Give. Help. Because you don't know which will prosper, this or that. Will God bless your labors? Perhaps. Will God bless your generosity? perhaps one, perhaps maybe the other, or whether both alike will be good. And I think that's Solomon giving a little hint to the one who fears God. That little phrase at the end, or whether both alike will be good. And I think he's saying that with a smile on his face, indicating work hard, give generously, watch the Lord take care of both of them. That's what I think he's doing there. You might not agree. That's okay but at least you should agree with the principle that working hard and giving is what's commended here. And I think this is Solomon hinting at the fact that both of them are going to be blessed as you do those in the re, in, by revering the Lord, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Again, listen to what Paul says later on in the church's history. Ephesians 4, 28 there were people who were converted out of theft. You know, back in the first century, you didn't often work and, you know, have a 401k and have money for the future. You just worked day to day, day to day. And when you had to work day to day, sometimes you didn't have enough. And so theft was a huge deal back then in the first century. So when people were converted to Christianity, the idea was you'll stop stealing and so Paul says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, which, that's blue-collar work, work with your hands, which was looked down upon in Greco-Roman culture in the first century when Paul's writing. So even if everyone looks down upon your work, oh, you just do that. Oh, you only do this. You know what? Before God, work hard at it. And the Lord commends that. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with, even with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The Bible doesn't call you just to work to take care of yourself. You've got family members. You've got others beyond that who may be in need. And this is the principle here. Use your resources to care for yourself, to care for the, the others, who may be in need. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're unfamiliar with Christianity or you're new to Christianity or you're trying to figure Christianity out, 
why would I, on a Sunday morning, be talking to people about using their resources, not just money, but their minds, their time? Why would I talk to this group this morning about using their resources wisely and encouraging them to spend them on things that will bring glory to God? Here's the reason. Because Jesus Christ spent himself for the good of others. That is what has changed our lives in this room. Jesus Christ, owning everything, eternally loving with the Father, eternal relationship with the Father, hailed by angels in eternity past. Why would he leave all of that to come to this earth and to suffer, to be mocked, made fun of, to be executed? Why would he come to do that? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here's the reason. Paul tells the Corinthian church, hey, there are some believers in Judea who are in need, and I'm asking you to help them. And he tells them why he's asking them to help them. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why have Christians historically started hospitals? Why have Christians historically fed people in need? Why have Christians provided homes for people who needed homes? Why have Christians historically been the leaders in charitable giving? Why, 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 why? Because our God has been gracious and shown charity to us and his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. Because he didn't have to leave heaven, but he loved us. And his father loved us. And so he came to die for our sins and to serve us. By his poverty, we became rich. And so what do the people of God want to then do in response? Then who can I help? How can I die daily for the good of other people? How can I die daily for my family? How can I die daily for those needs in this local church? How can I die daily for the needs in my community? How can I resemble Christ here. And Solomon doesn't even know all that we know about what would happen in the future. So if you're not a Christian, that's why Christians are called to goodness and benevolence and to hard work and to charity. Because our God and His Son are the, the epitome of goodness and sharing and giving. So that's why we want to give. That's why we want to help. That's why we want to serve. And again, before I move on here, if that is you, unfamiliar with Christianity, don't know much about Jesus, I hope you've seen his generosity towards sinners, even as I tell you why he came. He came to die for sinners, to serve them, to give them eternal life, which they could not earn. Eternal life is not received by earning it yourself. It's received by accepting it from Jesus Christ by faith, believing that that's why he came to save you and to resting your soul in the fact that he will lead you to heaven. It's not your good works. It's his merit that leads you to heaven. He gave himself for that reason. And now for Christians, we don't do good works. We don't invest resources 
because we're trying to earn heaven. We've already been given heaven. We invest those things because we want to resemble our Savior, and we trust that God will do something with those endeavors. There's a book I would encourage a number of you who are um, working and in a career to read. It's called Revolutionary Work, written by William Taylor, and he talks about the fact that God can raise up insurance agents. He can raise up moms and dads. He can raise up plumbers and electricians and lawyers. He can raise up farmers. He can do all of that. But He has saved you and put His Son's Spirit into your life for you to be a Christian insurance agent and a Christian mom. What difference now does that make? God doesn't need more lawyers or insurance agents or whatever, but He's put His Spirit into all sectors of the society. Why? How can you live, invest, work hard for His kingdom purposes? Let's, we went to Luke earlier. Let's maybe seal this point up by going to Matthew 25. Let's look at something else Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 25. You know that God gives all of us abilities and skills, minds, physical abilities. He, he makes us all unique. We are who we are. We've all been created by God's design. All beautiful and valuable in that sense, created in His image. All different. And Jesus taught that when you're a follower of His, when you're in the kingdom of God, you take all of that and you do something with it. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, a measure of money, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. There's the reward of God in the future world. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, also, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So notice, it's not about the amount. One had five, one had two. It's about just using what God's given you. He also, verse 24, who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the, him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To not use what God has given you is clearly not a Christian way of thinking. When you're brought into the kingdom and given resources, you use them for the good of the king. And notice what the king does. doesn't just receive the goods and say, thank you, servants. Thank you for working for me, for glorifying me. Tough. No, no. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's feast together. I'm going to give you even more to do, and there's going to be joy that permeates your mind and your being as you serve. I, one of the things I'm excited for in the future is seeing what God has done through all of your endeavors. I mean, this church is full of people spending their lives for the good of the kingdom. The ways that you serve, the ways that you give, the ways that you love, the ways that you meet needs. And we see some fruit of that. I cannot wait for the Lord to show us the videotape of all the endeavors in this church and to show what he did with them that are beyond what we even know. And to celebrate that and to be in the joy of our master there. This is what the Bible teaches, that we steward resources, that we manage what he's given us as wise as we can, knowing that he holds the future. And overwhelmingly in the New Testament, I just read you one place, overwhelmingly in the New Testament, there is a reward and a joy that God gives those who work for his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here, enter into the joy of your master. I'll put you over much. You stewarded a little, I'll put you over much. There's great reward there. The last book we studied was 1 Corinthians 15, and we've gone to this passage a number of times, but I'll read it for you one more time in light of this, if I can find it. Because of the resurrection of the dead. Now, now think of that connection to Ecclesiastes. Because we do know something about the future, we will all rise again because Jesus did. We know a little bit more than Solomon here. Because of the resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Overwhelmingly, the New Testament is pointing to investments in the kingdom of God, in his work, that lead to reward. He wants us to know this. So, Solomon, even before Christ, was giving us two wise principles for managing our resources with faith. Invest resources rightly, since you don't know when disaster may strike, and work hard and give generously, since you don't know what God will do. I told you before that I see Ecclesiastes, and I'm not the only one who sees this, as Solomon's really teaching us to not make the mistakes that he made. 
looking back on his life and seeing vain pursuits and now toward the end of his life writing to say, this is what I want you to know. Don't try to be satisfied with your wealth. Don't try to be satisfied with this or that. Don't try to be satisfied with other women, other relationships. Don't try to be satisfied with any of these things. Revere the Lord. Revere the Lord and listen to the wisdom I'm going to give you. That's what Solomon's saying to his readers. So really, we're listening to Solomon, who right now is in the grave and will one day rise again. We're listening to Solomon teach us. And while dead, he still speaks. I was given a very sweet gift yesterday. It's a little book of prayers called Every Moment Holy. And this book full of prayers is for prayers during very hard times. There are prayers for when you receive a diagnosis about a disease that will certainly end your life. There are prayers for caring for a sick and dying child. There are prayers the morning of a funeral. There are prayers just for seasons of hardship in life. And I was just thumbing through it for a bit last night and came across really a message that um, a person who is living was writing to those who were going to attend their funeral. So this person's writing some prayers and just some instructions for people who will one day attend their funeral. And so obviously the person at the time of the funeral won't be there, but this person was leading his friends at his own funeral. And it reminded me so much of this passage working, investing, that exhortation, knowing that there is a hope in the future, and our future is in God's hands. And because it fits with Ecclesiastes 11, I thought I'd read it for you, just a small portion at the very end. This is the end of the funeral, and so the one who's deceased writes this to his friends. Goodbye for now, my friends. It was my joy to travel this pilgrim life with you. Now go in peace with hearts stirred to labor faithfully and creatively, each in your appointed time and places, giving yourselves wholeheartedly to the good works He has prepared in advance for you to do. Run hard. Embrace your calling. Finish strong. I will meet you soon in the world remade. Let's pray together. Father, take all of our minds, our resources, our skills and abilities, our personalities. Use them for your kingdom purposes. Use them to care for one another in this room. Use them to benefit where we live. Use them to reach the lost with the gospel. Keep us working, investing, using wisdom, giving generously, knowing that you will reward one day. And all of these endeavors are in your hands. Father, I can't end our morning today without thanking you for the fact that in an uncertain world, there are things we know about the future. We know we're in your hands. We know that you bless the works that we do. We know that you are good and there's nothing for us ultimately to fear. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.